everybody it is drags and this week on red sox beat i welcome back the radio play-by-play voice of the red sox the one and only will fleming you can follow him on twitter at will fleming all one word will it was a great i would say unexpectedly uh, terrific season for the 2021 red sox course they fall short in the american league championship series four games to two a roller coaster ride uh to say the very least after games uh two and three went in the red sox way in unprecedented fashion games three four i'm sorry uh games four five and six uh the tables were turned i thought will the turning point of the series with the game tying home run by jose altuve in game four when the red sox were up two one yeah, I think it's hard to make that argument against that. Mike, great to be with you again. Um, Thank you. Roller coaster is the perfect word for this season in so many ways. I mean, I, we're just all sort of taking a deep breath and looking back at it. And I think it, it, you know, extends beyond just the last four or five days when the Red Sox did have a real opportunity uh, to get to the World Series. Um, and it's crazy that we're not at Fenway Park tonight welcoming the Atlanta Braves. That would have been uh, pretty wild culmination to just an insane 2021 season. But, you know, I think that the Astros on paper are certainly a better team than the, than the Red Sox are. Um, the, the Sox offense got hot for a couple of games. And without Lance McCullers, I thought the Red Sox had a really good chance. And you make the right point, which is you can easily say that the Red Sox could have swept the series. In game one, you got Tanner Houck on the mound. With the two-run lead, he gives up a homer to Altuve. And then in game four, the same story with Garrett Whitlock. And Garrett Whitlock was the Red Sox best pitcher this year, other than Nate Evaldi. And so no question. it's hard to, to argue with the, the setup that they had. And and by the way, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Alex Cora in this podcast, but it's a marvel that he was able to navigate the Red Sox to that spot, to have them in a situation in those games with their best guys on the mound with a lead. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. And and Altuve and Correa are two of the great all-time playoff performers. And they got the Red Sox in those couple of moments. So, uh, you know, it, it stings to not keep going. But what a year it was for the Red Sox. And, and by almost any measure, they exceeded expectations and took us all on a wonderful ride. Now, uh, you bring up uh, Will Fleming, uh, Alex Cora, I think, he is certainly in the conversation for American League Manager of the Year. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, considering where the experts had picked this team and his own issues that he obviously had to confront and move past when he rejoined the Red Sox at the start of the 2021 season. It's been well documented. He had the discipline for Major League Baseball uh, for one season. Then he returned to the Red Sox. And then to put all of that in the past and get this team off to a terrific start, the first half of the year, the best team in the American League and arguably best team in baseball for a good two months there for certainly May and June, I thought. Uh, and it was good enough to carry this team into the postseason. I think he's the American League Manager of the Year, but uh, there will be those detractors who said that in, in the American League Championship Series, he had a couple of games where he put the foot to the pedal, uh, the pedal to the metal, if you will, and it didn't turn out for him. Would you well, agree? I, first of all, just in a big picture view, he is the American League Manager of the Year. Now, you could argue that Kevin Cash did a wonderful job, and he did. You could talk about Tony La Russa. 
Uh, and Dusty Baker navigating all the challenges that go with the Houston Astros. But those teams were picked to be where they finished. I mean, they were loaded rosters. The Red Sox turnaround is just remarkable. And I, working with them every day, Mike, it, it's not just the tactical stuff, which is amazing for Alex. I mean, every single night he does things that are just ahead of the curve. He sees the game in ways that very few do. But when you throw in the layer of a COVID outbreak that derailed the team for a month, exceeding expectations, uh, 92 wins for a team that was predicted to finish fourth in the in the division. And by the way, that's another part of this. You play the Yankees, the Rays, and the surging Toronto Blue Jays uh, to be able to hold them off. The way that Alex navigated all the different personalities on this team, uh, it's just remarkable stuff. And I mean, okay, so he pushes a little hard once with Nate Evaldi to pitch him in relief. I mean, but he, the, the Red Sox are so limited from a pitching angle. They just yeah, don't they have were. the depth yes. of arms. So Alex had to make some of those choices. So he sticks with Chris Sale maybe a little longer than it works out uh, in that start after which he'd been unbelievable. The velocity dips. We all, we watch the games. We know what happened. Yes. But in the terms of the process, it's impossible to question those decisions. They didn't work out. That's baseball. I mean, it's not like the Red Sox have Mariano Rivera waiting in the wings. And, and by the way, you know, Tanner Houck gave up the home run to Altuve. So can you say definitively that it's a better choice to go to him in that spot? Three straight outings for him after a brilliant year giving up home runs? I don't think so. So uh, he had to try to cut some corners and try to navigate through. And he did a remarkable job of that. So uh, Alex Kaur is the perfect guy. I mean, I, I, I say, looking back at this season, we learned two things. We knew about Alex Kaur. Uh, coming back, he's the perfect guy to lead this team in the dugout and in between the lines. So you find that out, not surprisingly. And the Red Sox have the perfect guy picking the players. So when you've got High and Bloom and Alex Cora together, the front office piece is settled, the managerial piece is settled. Uh, this team is set up for a very long run. Red Sox photographer Billy Weiss, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with him, um, took a very poignant shot of Alex Cora giving a hug to Kike mm. Hernandez after game six, after the season was over. And to me, your point about there's a lot more below the surface to Alex Cora and him knowing his players than what meets the eye. And to me, that picture, and I don't know if you saw it, Will, but sure in the dugout, in the, in the clubhouse, clubhouse, correct. And that captured the essence i thought billy did a terrific job capturing the essence of what is alex cora he he can be a stickler he has high expectations but he there's nobody in that organization more supportive of his, of his players than cora no and the players love him back and we have to remember he's known kike since he was 10 years old and recruited him hmm. to the red Sox. oh that's Hold a great him. point listen come get under my wing and we're going to make you an everyday star and look what happened kike just went on the run of his lifetime and looks like he's going to be a fixture in Boston for a lot of years. But, you know, we have the benefit of being around this team every day. And I just marvel, like in the dugout, an hour before every game, Rafi Devers sits next to Alex every single day. And they're not talking baseball. They're talking about life and fatherhood and what it's like to navigate life as a big league baseball player. It's not X's and O's. It's not, you know, here's the technique we need you to use over at third base. This guy is a great, brilliant baseball tactician. But that embrace from Kike, um, you know, it's another embrace also, Mike, that really stands out to me. And that's the one with his daughter uh, after the Red Sox uh, defeated the New York Yankees in that wild card game. It, he's talked about it a lot, the journey that his family went on with him throughout all the scandal and the, the support they gave him and the fact that the, everybody can just exhale and enjoy it again. Um, 
you just can't say enough things about Alex Cora and what he means to this franchise, to his players, to the fans. It's just a, it's a perfect marriage. I want to move on to some of the issues uh, that this team will be facing. I, I guess the number one issue that is garnering a lot of attention is whether or not five days after the World Series, um, J.D. Martinez picks up his option of a believe it's 17 and a half, 18 million bucks uh, for 2022. What do you think happens? I mean, if there's a team out there that's willing to give him more money and he and Scott Forrest can navigate that, God bless him. And, and you and know, he's 34. We should. So, and and he's an unbelievable, prolific run producer. Um, I, my hunch is if you just put, uh, you know, put me to it, I would say he will take that option and stay with the Red Sox. The one caveat I would offer is, number one, there's a likelihood that we'll have the universal DH in the National League. So that opens up 15 more jobs for him. The other side of it is I would say that maybe there's a team out there that Scott Boris could convince J.D., you know what, this is our last chance to get a longer term. And we're not talking five, six years, but let's say Scott could come to and say, you know, J.D., I could get you three for 60. And there's a team out there that's willing to pay that. I I think that that would not totally shock me. But I think it's odds on likely uh, that J.D. will be back. And I, I think the Red Sox want him back. But if J.D. decides that, you know, his future is elsewhere, then I think the, the pressure probably ratchets up to go get Kyle Schwarber re-upped for, for next year and beyond to be the designated hitter. And that solves some of the lineup complexities that you have there. So uh, I, I would say it's probably 70-30 that J.D. will take that option and stay with Boston and everybody be happy that he does that. And Kyle, you bring up Kyle Schwarber, and I think it's interesting to see where he might fit in the puzzle. I know he expressed uh, his sentiment that uh, there's not a place in Major League Baseball that he would rather be than in Boston. And, you know, some of that is player speak, but I think when it comes to players in this in this particular clubhouse playing for this particular manager, manager as we've already mentioned, I think there's some genuine uh, feel to that, a genuine emotion to that. Um, the other half of that is what uh, the uh, management said, and Sam Kennedy, Heim Bloom, Alex Cora, uh, and the front office uh, met with the media on Monday in their wrap up. And, you know, they indicated those are two of the guys they would love to have back if it works out. I think they will. I think they're going to make a real push. And I've talked to Kyle about it several times. And It's sort of two-faceted, Mike. One, he's no dummy. He knows that Fenway Park is perfect for Mm. his swing. I mean, the guy is made to play at Fenway Park. And he's just another one of these left-handed hitters that can bang it off the monster, but also has major pull power. So it's it's a marriage there. But I think the main thing that will keep Kyle in Boston, assuming they can come to, you know, terms that that meet both parties' needs, uh, he wants to win. And, and that's, this is a guy who, from the time he came into the big leagues with the Chicago Cubs, got a taste of it, had success, and he wants to go somewhere where he's going to be in these situations over and over again. And I, I think we can't underestimate uh, the impact that Fenway Park and the Red Sox fans had on that clubhouse and on that group of guys. And I would imagine, Mike, on, on players throughout the baseball landscape. I mean, if you're a free agent out there and you're thinking – I've got a lot of options. Where do I want to go? I want to go with a player's manager and Alex Cora, who's proven to have the right stuff. And every player that I talk to who's there says it's a great thing. I want to go with an ownership group that's committed to winning and is going to pump hundreds of millions of dollars into the roster every year. And I want to go 
into that environment that I just watched on television. I want to see for myself and experience the fans all over Garrett Cole and all over the Rays and the Astros and and just so supportive and and loud and, and wild at Fenway Park. So I, I really think that Fenway is going to be a huge asset for you know, Tom and John and Sam and Haim, when they go get on the jet and try to woo some of these free agents, which they are going to do in this offseason, and that'll start with Kyle Schwarber. I just don't think he's going to go home and say to himself, there's a better fit for me. So it'll come down to dollars and cents. J.D. will be a part of that. But I think there's interest on both sides, and I won't be at all surprised once the CBA gets figured out, because that is a part of this, Mike. These, yes. these owners and GMs have to know how much money they're going to have to spend and know that there's a season and that revenue streams are going to start flowing again. But once we get that piece figured out, and by the way, for all the gloom and doom around that, will we have a temporary work stoppage on de December 2nd? I guess it's possible. Maybe, maybe it's likely, but I'm optimistic that that thing will get done. And once it does, uh, I think the Red Sox will be very active and very successful in that market. Here's the reason I think it gets done. Well, I think it gets done because they're already dealing with the, uh, aftershocks and, and you know it's like a bad accident on a highway it takes a while for the uh, traffic to resume to normal and I think with COVID in 2020 it's going to take a a lot of these franchises in baseball who are not the Boston Red Sox mm. um, it's going to take a longer time for them to heal and recover and I don't think they want to throw a work stoppage on top of it if indeed they're committed to owning franchises and running baseball franchises. Which, and I by think the way is up for some debate about some of these teams. I mean, you watch some of the ways that some of these lesser market organizations operate. It's just disgraceful. And and I do think that, you know, we've got a lot to figure out with the players and the owners and the service time issues and free agency and arbitration and team control. All those things are major issues, and, and those are sticking points. But to me, just as important a piece of this thing is the big market teams getting buy-in and, frankly, mandates for some of these lesser teams to right. actually put money on the field. Because what's happening right now in places like Pittsburgh and others is right. that big market teams are writing checks for literally tens of, and in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars to these lesser teams, and they're spending $30 million on the field. That just cannot continue. It's not a sustainable market. So the owners have got to figure out. There has to be a base. Lesser teams. Are you into this thing or not? Do you want to be in the big leagues or not? It's not, this is not just to take our money and put it in your pocket. So that's a, that's a, a part of this thing too, but you're right. I, I think the Red Sox are in a great position. And by the way, I know the owners are worth billions of dollars. They are, but they are bleeding money in these last two seasons just in terms of the revenue, the profit and loss statement for the Boston Red Sox. And it's hard to imagine this, given the TV revenues and you see Fenway Park rocking and rolling, they are losing money. But in a relative sense, they're in much better financial shape because of all their other investments and all the other things that Fenway and the Red Sox can be. So I expect them to be very successful once this thing gets cracking again. So you think there might be a minor work stoppage while they work out the deals on around yeah, the I deadline? I could see a few days, a few weeks, but I just, I'm with you. I just don't think that no, all parties involved are crazy enough to get this thing going. We're speaking with Will Fleming, the tremendous Red Sox play-by-play -play voice on the Red Sox radio network. Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your 
numero uno spot for all of the basketball and football action this season head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use the promo code clns50 to receive your bonus from basketball football and baseball postseason to nhl boxing and ufc right to your favorite vegas casino games do not wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers now available for the 2021 season bet online is the (laughs) what's that i'm ready to go make some bets (laughs) yes uh uh, feel free to interrupt the read anytime because it gives some life to our advertisers who actually um, welcome uh, the guest paying attention. So I appreciate that, Will. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts and the game resumes here with Will Fleming on this edition of Red Sox Beat. Uh, Kike Hernandez, is he going to be a center fielder in 2022? I think so. I mean, I think he came over to be the everyday second baseman, but uh, the numbers just don't lie with uh, the the production that he gave the Red Sox at that position. He's not the greatest natural outfielder. You look at all the advanced numbers, his jumps aren't the greatest, but his athleticism and closing speed, for lack of a better term, are just off the charts. And he just was a fixture out there. So I think so. Uh, I I think the the Red Sox maybe will kick the tires on bringing somebody like Jose Iglesias out. And back into the fold, Christian Arroyo has been a defensive revelation at second base. But I, I also think the Red Sox are going to be looking at all kinds of options. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a second baseman out there that we're not considering, that we've not thought of, that could be with the Boston Red Sox next year. If, if it comes to it and the Red Sox are active in the, in the free agent center field market, you feel great about Kike coming onto the infield and playing second base. But he'll be in one of those spots, he'll be an everyday player. And I, I really think, speaking of, contracts and extensions I think there will be a willingness you know two years 14 million dollars he's such a good fit here it's such a good marriage with Alex Cora he has shown a real interest for staying here I think that would be something the Red Sox would be very interested in locking him up for longer term all right let's get to uh, the two rookies that I think everybody is wondering about uh, heading to the rotation in 2022 I don't think one of them goes to the rotation I do not believe in Garrett Whitlock as a starter in 2022. I want him in the bullpen. Uh, certainly Tanner Houck, I think, has been extended more uh, throughout uh, the minor leagues and, and bringing him up. I think he goes to the rotation. But uh, your take? Uh, 50-50. I'm tempted to, to try it with Whitlock because his stuff is unbelievable. Right. Um, the splitter has become such a real weapon for him that, you know, I, I think the slider rather for Whitlock, um, I I'm with you that he's shown such unbelievable value and actually in modern day baseball to have a weapon like that, where he could be, you know, like Andrew Kittredge is for the Tampa Bay Rays, where yep. he might come into the fourth inning some days. And it's this, it's a two, three inning role for him. Uh, I, I would be reluctant, as you say, to just uh, eschew that and move on from that and say, no matter what, we're going to make him a starter. Having said that, you know, with an opportunity in the offseason to put him on a throwing program and to stretch him out, it's tantalizing to try it. And they got him in the Rule 5 draft because they thought he could be a, a starter. And I think we're starting to see why that is. I mean, it's not just the power fastball and the changeup combo, but he, he has that slider that's such a good weapon. So, We don't need to go Daniel Bard on this thing and force it and say, you know, there's more value because I think in modern baseball, we're starting to figure out that's not always the case. I mean, there is plenty of value in these long 
relief guys who can pitch more than every five days. So um, I think that they will be careful with that. They'd love to see it work, but they're not going to force it. And they don't over uh, want to overexpose him. I mean, look, what was it? Uh, three quarters of the season. That's a pretty good sample size for Garrett Whitlock, right? I mean, for one point, not, what, what did he finish? I don't even have the numbers. In yeah, he was, he was basically the best reliever, you know, not named Chapman in the American league for the whole season. So uh, he, he just established amazing, tremendous value. And uh, again, another one of these pieces, it's not like when I am bloom took Garrett Whitlock, he thought he'd get this, but again, you've got the whole system is working right now with, from the scouts to the player development guys, to the analytics, to indeed the president of baseball ops in high and bloom. These guys just have it dialed. They've got the system down. They know how to identify value and bring talent in. Uh, and that process is just going to continue. You have to credit John Henry uh, and obviously uh, Sam Kennedy for getting their heads together and going after and getting high and bloom for the model that they, for the vision that they had for the sure. front office. I mean, obviously it wasn't going to be Dave Dombrowski, different style. He had his success. There's no question about that GM of the, 2018 uh, World Series champion Red Sox, uh, but they wanted to go in a different direction. I think a, a more, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, viable, for lack of a better term, uh, model that would be uh, financially viable going forward. And I think they get that with Heim Bloom, uh, kind of like Theo Epstein with the, you know, the uh, player development machine that he wanted to create. I think the, the Red Sox want to get back to that with Heim Bloom. Uh, and I think uh, certainly they're capable of that. I do too. And I think, look, here's the thing about it. People who say it's just going to be Tampa Bay North are insane because it, first of all, if you can get the, the system working like Tampa Bay has, and all of a sudden, here comes Wander Franco and all these young players and pitchers who just you've never heard of who are great. Sign me up for that. But guess what the Red Sox are going to do that the Rays will never do? They're going to also spend enormous amounts of cash. So in modern baseball, you look at the Astros, you look at the Dodgers. These teams have waves of young prospects that not only can come up and help you at the big league level, but right. that's the reason the, the Dodgers were able to trade for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. And all these teams are able to manipulate and make moves because they've got depth in the minor league system. It's the only sustainable way to win. The Red Sox will keep their superstars around like Devers and Bogarts. They will build from within. They might have another wave of superstars with guys named Tristan Casas and some others and Nick York and Marcelo Meyer. These guys are coming, and then you still have the checkbook and the financial ability and heft to go out and make the big move. So you, to have both puts you in an unbelievable position of strength. You brought up Daniel Bard, and I, you know where I'm going to go with this? <laughs> Let's hear it. Matt Barnes. And obviously, he did not have the second half that uh, the Red Sox wanted. Alex Cora made reference to this, of course, uh, that they still believe he is a big part of their plans, but it was precipitous. I mean, obviously he missed the two weeks or two, two and a half weeks with COVID, uh, but the fall off was precipitous. I believe the stat was he didn't have a save after August 5th. Um, and it just, there was no production and he couldn't find the plate. And it was, it was at painful at times to watch him on the mound trying to find command. Two-parter two for you, Will. What do you think the problem was? And do they have deep down, rooted, deep belief that uh, he'll bounce back in 2022? I love a good two-parter, Mike. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I can't look into their souls, but uh, I will tell you that they have to be concerned. 
and, and they are a little bit with Matt. Um, he's been so overworked. I, I think maybe four or five times he's had more than 65 appearances and seasons, and it sure looked like he really hit a wall this season. And maybe that's because of the shortened COVID year last season and now another big l- workload. Uh, the one thing that you kind of hold your breath and, and hope on is that the change in the rules in big league baseball is not the reason that Matt Barnes kind of fell off a cliff. Because if you look at the before and after, uh, when when big league baseball really started to crack down, uh, it, it's a troubling uh, sort of split. I, I, look, I, I don't think anybody's writing Matt Barnes off at all. Um, he's had such a pedigree. He was just an unbelievable all-star caliber reliever. I think big league baseball is going to try some new prototypes of baseballs coming up here that are already like pre tacky. Um, and we'll see how that goes into spring training next year. And maybe that helps Barnes with fastball command and, and have that wicked curveball combo. I, it's, it's definitely, um, a, a topic of concern in this off season. And, and by the way, unbelievable that the Red Sox got as far as they did without him because for four months, it was, Correct. okay, you got Barnes at the back end. What's the answer to get to him? And so to find yourself in game six of an American League Championship Series without your closer, without any closer, um, I think if Barnes is himself, the Red Sox are probably playing tonight in the World Series. So they're going to look to get him right. They're hopeful. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves, and the Red Sox will, uh, will be very concerned going into this offseason to well, get him right. It's it's fascinating you bring that up because I think if Matt Barnes was himself, met the Matt Barnes of the first at least three and a half months of, of this 2021 season, I think game number four at Fenway unfolds a lot differently in in innings eight and nine, the game tying home run and then the seven run ninth inning. That whole dynamic, I think, is much different if you have Matt Barnes at the, or even near the top of his game uh, in that role. Well, I think so, too. And I think, look, here's the thing that Alex Cora and Dave Bush had to do. They had to push guys and put themselves in uncomfortable situations like Hansel Robles did a great job this year. And he was the most reliable guy in September. And they wouldn't have gotten into the playoffs without him. But he's Hansel Robles. And we all know the track record there. You're just pushing really hard all the time, putting him in these extreme leverage spots. And to your point in that game four, Whitlock was not good. I mean, he, he was unbelievable all year long, but you could see it in the seventh inning. It's jarring with him because he is so tremendous that he, it, when he's mortal and actually gets hit hard, it, it is, it's stunning. But in that seventh inning, he got hammered. You remember Castro hits the ball down the line and we're not for Schwarber holding the runner at first. If he's not there, I think it's a game time double anyway. And so there's loud contact in that inning and they have to bring him back out for the eighth because they don't have better options. But if you have Barnes and if you have really a super reliable, you know, Brazier and some other guys, then I think with the big hitter, like that is exactly the lane you have Matt Barnes on the roster for you say, okay, here comes Altuve and he's going to see Brantley and Bregman and maybe even Alvarez in that inning. Here comes the closer in that spot. So yeah, not having him totally altered everything they tried to do in this postseason run. Okay. We need to end on an upbeat. No. Okay. Is that a deal? Well, yeah, it was a great season. Why, 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 you're, you're dragging us all down. Mike. No, I'm not trying. That's why I'm saying we need to end on an upbeat note. First of all, great Twitter feed on the picture uh, toward the end of the season, the uh, goodbye to 2021. I love that uh, photograph. With that in mind, Will Fleming, 
wanted yeah. to ask you your favorite memory of the 2021 season. It could be a game. It could be a conversation you had, an interview you had in the booth. What, what was it? Man. I know, putting you on the spot. No, I mean, there's so many. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I think I'll give you two. Sure. Overall, the, my favorite enduring memory of this season will be being able to have fans back in our stadium and then in the playoffs being back out on the road with Joe. Um, and I, you know, it's hard for me to describe to people who listen to our broadcast, not only how wonderful a partner Joe is to me, um, how generous and selfless, but how in awe I am of his mastery of the craft and Red Sox history. And I just sit there kind of agape at how unbelievable he is and what a friend he's become to me. Mm -hmm. So to be sitting in ballparks for, you know, the ALDS with the Tampa Bay Rays, and then it really, really hit me. Um, when we're in Houston for game one of the championship series as the Red Sox come onto the field and uh, all of the pageantry that surrounds that, you know, those are moments that I'll never, ever forget. Being on the field after they beat the Tampa Bay Rays and advanced uh, to the championship series and talking to Tanner Houck and, you know, really having long extended conversations with the Red Sox players and their front office members. Because remember, really for two years running now, because of COVID, We've been disconnected from this team. It's been impossible to be around the players. So to be on the field there, and then uh, after the loss, even after the loss in Houston, to be back at the team hotel, to be surrounded by so many members of the front office and some players were milling through the hotel lobby, but to talk to members of the executive team and, and just kind of look back on what this season was and to hear the optimism and the planning that's already underway for the future. Yep. Um, I just, you know, not to make it about me, but for a guy who spent 10 years in the minor leagues, uh, riding buses to Bakersfield and Lancaster and uh, Lynchburg and Buffalo and Syracuse, um, you know, to, to, to be able to be a part of this thing, uh, to sit next to a, a man like Joe, uh, to be a part of the Boston Red Sox um, and to be taken on this wild ride, which was at times so maddening, um, with COVID and, and long losing streaks and the ups and downs that this season offered, you know, when you step back um, and reflect on the season and the moments and the, frankly, the joy that it brought us, because, you know, sitting in front of any, I, I urge anyone out there who's listening to this podcast and watching it in 2022, you got to get to Fenway Park because it, it, I mean, listen, it's always been a wonderful place. It, it transformed into something totally different this year, where to the point where your, your entire body was pulsating being in that ballpark. And it just felt like uh, this incredible community revival and, and a support of a really likable group of young guys who gave it their all this season. And, and Boston and New England uh, and Red Sox Nation, who embraced me and reached out to me all season long, got to just frankly party. And it was really <laughs> awesome to be a part of it and to kind of help with the soundtrack of that and to narrate some of the, the magical moments of this season. And uh, I'm just honored to be a part of it, Mike. And uh, literally, I think it's now 111 days till we get going again in Fort Myers in spring training. So uh, we're counting the days for that. And uh, it's just a, a true blessing to be a part of it. You're one of the true great guys to have on this podcast. I put you up there with Ian Brown as one of my very favorite guests I have on this uh, podcast because um, like Ian, you, you guys paint a tremendous picture of what's going on at Fenway Park and obviously with the Red Sox on the road day in and day out. It's just really, it's wonderful to listen to you. It's wonderful to follow you on social media. I know you don't post as much as uh, maybe some other people. I try to do. be Mr. Positive on social media. You know, no 
was snark for me. <laughs> well, uh, I am I'm all for that because uh, I've had enough snark on on social media to last ten lifetimes. But anyway, we won't. Uh, as I said, I promised you, Will, okay. I would I'll not end this on a <laughs> negative note. I very positive. I'm sure this is inside baseball to a lot of people, but I'm, uh, I taped this. I live in my hometown now of Cincinnati and have uh, reached out a couple of times and had John Sadak on. And I know, you know, John, and when I listen to you describe your experience doing the Red Sox, it's very akin to what it is for John doing the Cincinnati Reds. And, and I, believe you know this john was very close to not coming back to baseball and and you know perhaps going in a different career direction and then the cincinnati reds reached out so it's great to have guys like you on because you very much appreciate the 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 uh, ability and the joy and, and and the responsibility of painting that picture day in and day out to uh, a lot of baseball fans who can't be at fenway every day John is one of my dearest friends, not just in sports broadcasting, but in any walk of life. And, you know, I met John when I was with the Potomac Nationals and he was with the Wilmington Blue Rocks. And we sat uh, in a trailer on the back of uh, Fitzner Stadium in Woodbridge, Virginia, literally a trailer that was. I love minor league stories with no walls separating our broadcasts. We kind of had to be quiet so that the other wouldn't be distracted by the others killing bugs all over the place. And then, you know, we're watching dancing celery up in the, in the ballpark in, in Wilmington. And then I moved to Indianapolis and Pawtucket and he gets the job with the Scranton rail riders. And, you know, our paths connect many, many times. And, you know, John, I've always admired his talent and his ability, which, you know, people in Cincinnati now get to see every day. The guy is just an enormous, enormous, Talent that should Total be there. recall. That's a T, it's T.R. Sadak. That's what I call him. No, he's unbelievable. Um, but for me, he was more than that. He was a guy who helped me navigate uh, some of the real hard moments and the, the times when you do doubt whether it's actually ever going to work out. And so I think right. both John and I kind of have this thing in the background where I promise you, uh, when I'm at Minute Maid Park um, and Rafi Devers is up with two on and two out in the eighth inning. It is not that far from my mind, the memories of of being in these tiny little dinky minor league ballparks and all the conversations that I had with my family and my wife and my friends like John about just keep going, keep pushing, have faith in the process. Do you and it will work out. I mean, I just think that's always in the backdrop of everything that I'm trying to do. So I'm glad you've gotten to know Joe, the, John the way that I have, because uh, I love him and I'm so happy for for everything that's come his way. As somebody who has done uh, baseball games at Duffy Fairgrounds in Watertown, New York, in the New York Penn League, those stories about uh, the moths and the mosquitoes and other bugs flying around you, I can more than relate with. Yep. I I don't sympathize. I empathize with that, with those yes, yes, yeah, yeah. environments. we in Kansas anymore, right? No. Um Will, it's been a pleasure having you on. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Will Fleming, uh, the one and only radio play-by-play voice of the Boston Red Sox on the WEI Red Sox radio network. You can follow him on Twitter at Will Fleming, all one word. Do you do Instagram, Will? Uh, very rarely. I, I'm more just check in on it. I don't post too much on it. I, I've, I've really tried... This will drive my bosses crazy, but I, I've tried not to do too much social media. I just, I, I, I try to live in the real it. world as much as I possibly can. And, uh, and so you've got great so artwork behind you, by the way, <laughs> little uh, plug for your first yeah, my daughter. Yeah, my three-year-old Picasso, right? That, that's what we're working with. Yeah, my son Bailey, who's uh, 
he is happy. He's the happiest of anybody that the Red Sox run came to an end because uh, I can't tell you how many times he would wake up in the morning. Daddy, is there a baseball game tonight? And while he was excited and asked me if Rafi hit home runs, he's happy that the season is over. So, you know, from now until February, it's dad time with, with Bailey and my new son, Charlie. So I'm thrilled to be home, but I cannot wait for it to get going again next year. Enjoy fatherhood version 2.0. Well, also, also, also want to thank our great sponsor. I got to get this in uh, betonline.ag for Will Fleming. I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media.